Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. So we're going to take a look this morning at Matthew chapter 6. And so as we look this morning at Matthew chapter 6, we're going to continue taking a look at the Lord's Prayer. So uh, a couple of months ago, um, I've shared each week with you, and I just want to keep sharing with you. I began to share of of the um, dreams that I believe that God has for us as a congregation together. And so in these dreams, we've specifically sat and asked the Lord these questions. What are the dreams that you have for us as Whitechapel Church? Because we want to be a people totally surrendered to the Lord, doing His will. And so these are the dreams that we have focused on that we believe that God, uh, God is leading us to as a congregation. And so this has just come from sitting with the Lord and just specifically asking, what are the dreams that are unfulfilled that you have for Whitechapel Church? Some of these um, actually go back a number of years, and some of these the Lord has been stirring. But the one that we've been focusing on, is that we focused initially on unity, and then we've kind of skipped down here to a powerhouse of prayer. Because I believe as God is building us to be a powerhouse of prayer, then as we do that, as we become a powerhouse of prayer, all these other dreams are going to really fall in line as we begin to pray and specifically ask. And so some of the things that we have been praying about um, are these God dreams and the things that he desires for us. But we began a few weeks ago in diving in to the Lord's Prayer. Because if we want to be a powerhouse of prayer, probably ought to go back and take a look at the words that Jesus prayed and, and how he said that he was actually teaching us to pray. And so in Matthew chapter 6, if we'll take a look beginning at verse number 8, I want us to go back and, or I'm sorry, verse number 9, I want us to go back and reread the, the beginning part, or we'll just read the whole, the whole portion of the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to come back and we're going to focus on the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. So this then, Jesus' words, how you should pray. He said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we began by taking a look at our Father. And the amazing part of, the word, of that first word that Jesus used when he said, our Father, and the unity that we discover in Jesus Christ and in God when we cry out to our Father, because he is ours. And then we took a look at the words, your kingdom come, your kingdom come, and then it was your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we, we discovered in this the power that Pastor Gary so wonderfully laid out for us last week. The power that we hold as God's children in the kingdom of God that is now, that is operating among us. 
And I wanted to go out this past week and buy some copper pipe and pass out to us as Pastor Gary shared the illustration from Dr. Berquist, who pastored here uh, and, and retired from here in 1977. Um, and, and that illustration of when there is a, a copper pipe that is parallel between power lines, that power is transferred from above to that piece of pipe. And so with that, we know that when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we parallel ourselves with the kingdom of God, then that power then is given to us. And in the future, we will dive into what that power is for every one of us. But after the words, your kingdom come, there are some words that are the most powerful words that you can ever pray, but yet they're the hardest words you'll ever pray. Jesus said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and here's the hard part, but the most powerful part, your will be done. Boy, that's hard. I, I, I won't speak for any of you this morning, but I'll speak for myself. That's hard. Because what I have to do when I truly pray the words that Jesus told us we should pray, your will, God, I want your will to be done right here and right now. And Jesus didn't just pray, I want your will to be done, but he added a statement and he attached a, a, a phrase after that that changed those words before it. He said, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can you imagine, just, just for a moment with me, imagine how God's will is done in heaven. Can you imagine how God just begins to speak and the heavenly host are moved into action when they discover what God's will actually is? Jesus prayed, your will. God, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. If Jesus prayed that, then it is something that we as his children could see come to pass. Jesus would not pray, God, if it is possible, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. He didn't say, if there is the slightest chance, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Instead, he prayed as if it was possible and it is something that we would be able to obtain. Your will on earth as it is in heaven. At the age of 30 years old, Florence Nightingale wrote in her diary these words. I'm 30 years of age, the age at which Christ began his mission. Now no more childish things, no more vain things. Now, Lord, let me think only of thy will. And then Jim Elliott, the missionary who was murdered in South America by the Indians there, the native Indians, Shortly before he was killed doing God's will, he, he prayed these words. God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life. Consume my life. My God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. 
Miriam Booth, who's the, found, the daughter of the founder of the Salvation Army, she was brilliant. She was a very cultured lady. And her ministry had begun with um, great success, but in a short, while ever, a short while, however, after that, her health began to break down. And she prayed these words, or she said these words that should shake us and push us into discovering the Lord's will. She said, it is wonderful to do the Lord's work, but it is greater still to do the Lord's will. And so often in the church, we get caught up in doing the Lord's work. And that's the reason that we have to understand that it is not our kingdom that we are building down here, but he is the one that is building his kingdom, and we are just the vessels by which he uses. And it is wonderful to do the Lord's work, but it is even more wonderful to do the Lord's will. And the last quote that I want to share with you, a former second baseman of the New York Yankees was at a meeting of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes here in the United States, and they asked him to pray. And he stood up and he prayed this 10-word prayer. Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. How powerful for all of us. But we begin to notice, not only in these four people that I shared with you this morning, but we begin to notice in the scripture this pattern of prayer that has begun with God's glory and his honor, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But then it moves us to a place of inviting his kingdom to come and take control. And in his kingdom coming and taking control, the next words of your will is what I'm going to surrender to. Now those words are not written in the scripture. And we don't see here in Matthew chapter 6 where we're reading the Lord's will. We're going to surrender to you. But when Jesus was praying these words and he was teaching those gathered around him, he was really telling them what I need you to do in order to see the kingdom come and in order for the Lord's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, you have to be in a posture of total surrender. And I want you to hear this this morning. If you have gotten nothing out of this service this morning, I want you to hear just this short little bit right here. If you get nothing, get this. You have to surrender to Jesus Christ if you want to see his will done in your life. There's no other option. None whatsoever. But this is something that every one of us, no matter how sanctified we are, no matter how close to the Lord we are, we're going to always struggle with this. Now you might say, but you don't know who I am. I've been in the church for decades. And I have been able to experience the presence of the Lord. Well, were you as close to the Lord as Adam and Eve were? I don't think so. They walked in the presence of God Almighty. The scriptures tell us that God walked in the coolness of the day with Adam and Eve. They heard the voice of God almost at will in the, in the garden. But yet when we get to Genesis chapter 3, verse number 6, and you have to catch this if we're going to understand Jesus' words in, in Matthew chapter 6. Your, will, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, um, Eve has had this conversation with the enemy. And Eve was right whenever she told the enemy, this is what God said. 
The serpent came and the serpent said, did God say? And Eve said, yes, God did say. And this is what God said. And so as she's had this conversation with the enemy in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, you can go read this. In verse number 6 of Genesis chapter 3, it tells us that the actual translation here in this word is, ah, I had it. Let me bring it up here for you right quick. Um, the actual word that is used here is attractive. When the woman, that's Eve, saw the tree that produced fruit was good for food, good for food and was attractive, it was in that moment that she was attracted to something that drew her away from God that was not God's will. The actual Hebrew word can literally be translated desirable. Desirable. It was attractive. It was desirable. Well, how many times is there something that the enemy presents to us that is attractive or is desirable, and we don't pray the words that Jesus wanted us to pray? God, I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done. But yet, we come over here and we're like, no, this is attractive, and this is desirable. It's the same age-old debate that is, or, um, um, struggle that began in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. It's, is our, it, the, the struggle is, are we going to allow our flesh's will to be done in seeking the attractive or seeking the desirable to the flesh? Or are we going to say, wait just a minute, that is attractive and that is desirable, but yet I am going to stop for a moment and I am going to ask God, God, is this your kingdom? Is this your will? You see, we have to stop in the church saying, oh, that's not attractive and that's not desirable to me. Some things may not be attractive to you and some things may not be desirable to you. Desirable, desirable to you. But that doesn't mean that others that sit in this building who love Jesus with all their heart, those things are attractive to some of them and those things are desirable to some of them. That's a part of the flesh and the struggle between flesh and the will and the kingdom of God. But yet we know that we are more than overcomers on those things. It's not wrong for them to be desirable. It's not wrong for these things to be, um, to be attractive. It is wrong when we don't pray, God, is that your kingdom? Is that your will for me? And then when you have heard from the Lord, you're like, nope, I know. Despite the attractiveness of that, despite how desirable that might be, that's not God's will. So what would have happened in, if, if we were to go back about 6,000 or so years and we were to spend time in the Garden of Eden and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 would have said, God, that's attractive and God, that's desirable, but is that your will to me? Is that your will for me? It may have been a little bit different for the rest of Genesis chapter 3. But our flesh, our flesh forgets that we've got to ask that question. Hear this. There are a lot of things in this world that are going to be attractive. There are a lot of things in this world that are desirable for us. But just because they're attractive and just because they're desirable does not mean that God wants those things for you. Oh, amen? <laughs> there are a lot of things the enemy wants to bring into your life. And you have to ask the question of God, is that for me or is that not for me? And you know what? You don't move until you've heard from the Lord. Whenever we read Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, 
And he prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We discover the full surrender that Jesus was leading us into. So I want to give you an example of how this actually plays out right here on the earth, how it played out in my life. A few years ago, this may be too personal, and if it is, just tune out for a minute. I'll pick you up in about five minutes. A few years ago, I got kidney stones. Oh my word, the pain. There are a few moments that the pain was so severe that it was as if, you know, as a man, I'm struggling. Do I go to the hospital? Do I not go to the hospital? I'm just in total misery, in total, total, total misery. And I'm debating this in myself when I should have just gone initially. Because there are a few moments in this extreme, excruciating pain. It wasn't just one kidney stone, it was five kidney stones. But in this excruciating pain, I don't remember every moment or every second because the pain was so bad. But in this moment of this excruciating pain, I'll tell you, I was not praying, God, your will be done with these kidney stones right now. I wasn't praying that. You know what I was praying? God, take this pain from me right now. Because the pain was horrible. Now, how many times have you done that with smaller things? How many times do you go through something in life and you're God, God, I need you to take this pain from me right now. The flesh says in the pain moments, take it away from me. I can't deal with it. I don't want to go through it. It is not what I want to do. And we forget what Jesus said. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what I should have done in that moment? But I didn't do it. God, if this is the pain that you want me to go through, then I'll go through this pain. Because the pain of passing five kidney stones was nowhere near the pain that he took for me so that I would be able to experience his will on earth as it is in heaven. But our flesh says, I, I'm, I'm checking out right here. I don't want this. I can't go through this. I can't live through this. I don't want to surrender to this moment. I just want the pain to completely go away. And it's in these moments of pain And it is in these moments where we are struggling that God wants us to cry out in total surrender to him because the kingdom of earth in these painful moments and the kingdom of heaven are at odds with one another. And it is a moment where we get to decide. God has given us that gift of saying, what do you want to surrender to? Do you want to surrender to the kingdom of God on earth? Do you want to surrender to the Lord's will on earth? Or do you want to just keep living your life and just saying, I don't want the pain. I'm fine with the blessings, but I don't want the pain. Hear me, there are some of us here this morning that need to specifically say to God, despite the pain, despite the hurt, and despite the heartache, I want your will to be done in my life as it is in heaven. Those are the hardest words, as I've already said, you'll ever pray, but yet they are the most powerful words. So let me give you another example from Scripture. You remember when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross? He took a few moments, and he wanted to pray about it. Now imagine this. In the flesh, God who was in the flesh 
was getting ready to go through an excruciating pain like none of us could ever even begin to imagine. But he stopped to pray, God, please, take this cup from me. It's not wrong to pray, take the cup away, take the pain away, take the hurt away. That's not wrong. But if we stop there, we're wrong, and we're focusing on self in the way that Eve and Adam did in the garden. Jesus kept praying, but if it is your will, I'm fine with that. Jesus, before he gave his life for you, put into practice the words that he taught everybody to pray in Matthew chapter 6. When he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, knowing the pain, said, God, I don't want to do this. And the scriptures tells us that he was in so much agony that it was as if he, as if, it was as if he was even sweating blood in those moments. Not wanting to go through this in the flesh, but yet he lived a life of total surrender, knowing that if it was God's will, he would absolutely go through that. That's how we have to get. When it says be Christ-like, we have to get to that Christ-likeness inside of us today. It's not just loving our neighbors. That is a part of it. It's not just living a life of service to the Lord. That is a part of it. It is first and foremost living a life of total surrender. That's the Christ-likeness that God wants us to have. Because we can't live a life of service and we can't love our neighbor until we live a life of total surrender. Because there are people that you will never want to love. You, you've never experienced some of those people? <laughs> They're in my family. <laughs> I don't know about yours. And you can't love those people unless you live a life of surrender. You can never give enough of your life unless you're first living a life of surrender. All God wants of you is surrender and to put in the words, put the words from Matthew chapter 6 into practice when he said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I want to ask you this morning to allow the Holy Spirit to completely examine yourself today. I can't do it for you. The people sitting around you this morning can't do it for you. Family members, a spouse, children, nobody can do it for you. It has to be the Holy Spirit. Because in those dark moments of life, in those moments where the pain comes and it is hurtful, the Lord knows everything. We can try to manipulate the world and we can try to manipulate others around us so that they think we're actually living in the, in the will of the Lord when the truth is we're not chasing the Lord's will. We're chasing these desirable, attractive things and everybody around us can be fooled from that. But this morning you have to let the Holy Spirit completely examine yourself. And you have to ask the question of the Lord. Lord, am I living a life of total surrender to you? Listen, we will never see these God dreams achieved at Whitechapel Church unless we first approach our relationship with the Lord of when we take these words from Matthew chapter 6 and live them out everywhere. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I want to ask you this morning, 
as we go from here in just a few minutes, to change these words just a little bit, to apply them to your individual life. God, I want your kingdom come and your will to be done. Don't say on earth. Pray it this way. God, I want your will to be done. I want your kingdom to come in my life as it is in heaven. Because you know what we become good at? We'll just be honest and transparent. You know what we're good at? We have become good at determining God's will for other people's lives. But yet we've stopped trying to discern it for our own lives. And you know what the number one thing that pastors do? We become experts at trying to determine God's will for other people's lives. And then we've passed that on to the church. And we've said to the church, let's discern God's will for Daytona, right? We've probably thought that, and that's not bad. But you know how we discover God's will for Daytona? It's to discover God's will for our life. Because we can't live God's will for Daytona. We can only live, I can only live God's will for my life. You can only live God's will for your life. And here's what I do know. God's will for Daytona is for the people of Whitechapel Church to discern God's will for their lives so that we go in Daytona and start living out God's purposes for our lives and then the people of Daytona will become so attracted to people who are living a life of surrender who say, I want God's kingdom to come. I want God's will to be done in my life as it is done in heaven. That's how we win Daytona for Jesus. That's how we change this world. When we stop trying to enact all of this other stuff and we just start discerning God's will for our own lives. So this morning you have to let the Holy Spirit examine you. And you have to say to the Holy Spirit, God, I am totally surrendering to you in this moment. You know what the real question is? Well, again, we'll just be totally transparent and honest this morning. You know what the real question is? Do you really want God's will to be done? Do you really, really want God's will to be done in your life? Like, do you really mean that? We can come on Sunday morning and we can talk about it, we can pray about it, we can sing about it, we can champion and say, yes, oh, absolutely. I want God's will to be done in my life. But yet at 11.30 when we walk out of here and we see something attractive and we see something desirable, we're like, God, I just want to put this on pause for just a moment. I can start practicing this tomorrow. I'm just going to be over here in this for just a few moments and then I'll come back to you. You know what we've become? We've become grace abusers. We have said, God, I want to pause your will for just a moment. You may not have said that. But you're living out Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 in the same way that Eve was starting there. And then Adam joined in on this. And you've said, here's something that's desirable and here's something that's attractive. And so I'm going to pause. I'll come back to you for just a moment because I know that your grace will be sufficient and you will bring me back in. You'll wash me and you'll cleanse me. How many times are we going to keep doing this? And we're going to keep bouncing back and forth and bouncing back and forth. And you think, oh, I don't do that. Well, the Apostle Paul even said in the book of Romans that he did that. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans said, the things that I should do, I do not do. And what I want to do is the opposite of what I'm actually doing. You know what he was saying to us? Is I struggle with the will of God. 
I struggle with applying Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 6. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If Jesus was struggling with it in the Garden of Gethsemane, if the Apostle Paul, who lived, as he said, a flawless life according to the law, was struggling with it in in the book of Romans, then we are struggling with it in 2021 as well. We just have to admit it and answer the question, do you really want God's will to be done? You have to resolve that. I have to resolve it for self. You have to also resolve that for self as well. We pray it. We talk about it. We can dive into it. We can tear apart the scripture and discover what this word means and what that word means. And we can become theological experts, but yet still miss the will of God when we're chasing the attractive and we're chasing the desirable. And we see it all the time in our own lives. Do you really want God's will to be done? Now, it doesn't mean that you want God's will to be done as long as it agrees with my will. That's that's not what it means. It does not mean I want God's will to be done as long as it is comfortable for me. As long as I don't have to go through this pain, yep, God, I want your will to be done. It does not mean I want his will to be done as long as nothing changes in my own life. Praying your will be done, God's will be done, means that I want to think and say and do what God wants and nothing else. So do you really want God's will to be done? As the Holy Spirit examines us this morning, and we we give him that freedom and we give him that uh, invitation this morning. As he examines us this morning, this has to become a pattern in our lives where we begin listening to him. Because as we ask the question of God, God, where am I not surrendering to you? Where am I not living a life where I'm wanting your will constantly? Where am I chasing the desires and where am I chasing those things that are attractive? As we ask this question, then we begin to live a life of listening to him. And you know what the promise is that we have in the scripture? Whenever we call, he answers. And so as we begin to ask these questions of the Lord, God, where do I need to surrender? Where am I chasing the desirable? Where am I chasing the attractive? Where am I not living in your will? And where is self overriding the flesh? He will answer. And when he answers, it's an invitation to conversation. It's not just, okay, God, I've got it. Now I'm going to go fix it. Because you can't fix it. The flesh always desires the attractive and the desirable. That's how our flesh works. But with the Holy Spirit, you're more than an overcomer. With the Holy Spirit's power, we can experience his kingdom here on the earth. And I just love how Jesus put, this, put, put these words in this prayer. He first prayed, our Father in heaven, acknowledging God. Hallowed be your name. He was proclaiming the greatness of God. And then he said, your kingdom come. Because if we want the kingdom, we've got to put it first over our own will. 
And he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was praying, I want to think, I want to say, and I want to do the things that you absolutely want me to do. But here's where we have to live in this. It has to be an exchanged life. It's no longer I who live. Sounds like Paul said something like that to us. But it is Christ who lives inside of me. You see, Paul is saying, you can live seeking God's will first in your life. You can crucify this flesh and live a life not seeking the desirable and not seeking the attractive. It is possible, but it has to be the exchanged life so that we come to Christ and we put to death, we crucify the flesh, and then Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, you know what that is? That's the exchanged life. I have come to Christ and I have given him my rags and he has given me the kingdom's riches. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. What is the new? It's the kingdom. It's the will of God. Paul is saying this life that Jesus prayed for is absolutely possible. And how does it start? If anyone is in Christ. If anyone is in Christ. If we were to take a few, uh, just move forward just a little bit in, the, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you catch the power that's in this verse? Do you catch the birthright that you have been given as a child of God? He does it, Paul says to us, you're not just a child of God, you are a child of God. But that's not just your status. But you have been given, a, you have been given the title as a child of God with all the full rights and privileges of the kingdom coming to earth. And he said, you are the righteousness of God. He didn't just say, you're a child of God. He didn't just say, you have taken on the name of Christ and you wear that as your banner. He went full force, all in on this one, and said, you become the righteousness of God. As Daryl said to us a little bit earlier, as, as he was leading us into worship, because of the altar, we are able to enter into the presence of God. And it took place on the cross when the veil of the temple was torn in two. And we have the full rights and privileges and access to the kingdom of God in the right here and the right now because we are the righteousness of God. Hear me. You can see God's will in your life because you are the righteousness of God. You just have to live that exchanged life of giving Him all of the flesh, all of the rags, and all of the gunk of our life, and then begin living a life walking away from the attractive, walking away from the desirable, because you are the righteousness of God. So this morning... 
as you've allowed the Holy Spirit to examine you in our time together, and you have asked him the question, God, where is it that I am not living in your will? And then you begin asking, where am I not? Or uh, you ask the next question of where is it that I'm not living a life of surrender? And then you begin listening to the things that he says to you. You continue this conversation with him of God, what is next? How do I surrender? What is it that I need to do? As the righteousness of God and as the, the, uh, the, uh, as a child of yours that has full access to the to the kingdom and to the, to the privileges that we have. How is it that I am able to do these things? And so it continues this conversation between you and the Lord so that you're walking away from self and you begin to walk in the righteousness of God. So here's a little test that I want to give you this morning that you can take that as I was driving into church this morning, the Lord just, boom, spoke this so boldly and so powerfully to me. In the church of God, I love our theology. I love the church of God. I, I I love what we teach as a, as a church. One of the things that we talk a lot about is sanctification. We talk, and I don't like to use that big word because for a people it has a lot of different thoughts and it invokes a lot of different meanings and some of it is just not scriptural. But the way that I want to describe this to you as I was driving in this morning, I just thought, man, the Lord just so powerfully put this on my heart. Here's a way that you can know that you are walking in right relationship with God. Have you ever been thirsty before? Where maybe you've gone out and you've run or you, you've mowed the lawn and you just get so hot and sweaty in this Florida heat and you're just like, I just need to get a thirst. And the only thing that can quench that is just the, the water, the, 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 the water that you put in your mouth and it just begins to quench your thirst. Now we've got all these drinks and all these different things that, that can help in quenching your thirst, but there are some times that you just need a good glass of ice cold water to quench the thirst in your mouth. As you get closer and closer and closer to the Lord, I believe that there rises up inside of us a thirst, a hunger for His will that then begins to override the hunger and thirst for the desirable and the attractive. And so the way that you are able to test where you are at in your relationship with God is test your thirst, test your hunger. What is it that you are hungering for? Are you hungering for more of Jesus' words? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that what is driving you? And is that the things that you are hungry and thirsty for? Or is it that you wake up and you are constantly hungry and you are constantly thirsty for the attractive and the desirable things of this earth and you've stopped asking the question, God, what is your will and what is the path that you want me to walk? There is how you can gauge how close you are or how sanctified you are in your relationship with the Lord. Test your hungers. Test your thirsts. And that's going to tell you where you need to surrender more to him and live out those words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we have to live the life that is an exchanged life. We have to live the life of total surrender to God's will and his kingdom. And we have to begin to ask the questions of God. Where is it that I need to surrender? And where is it that I need to crucify the flesh? So that as you live inside of me, I can walk as the righteousness of God. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you. 
and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week.